find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Do you ever think about what your drag name would be if you did drag? Hmm. Lady Fingers. What about you? <laughs> I think I'd go with Watson. Watson your face. Watson your face? A mustache! <laughs> <laughs> We are the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy Podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes like serial killers and the random one-off murder. We will tell you about bizarre occurrences like alien abductions and monsters in the dark. And we just might get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. At the very end of every show, we like to lighten things up and cleanse the palate from the tragic and terrifying stories. So we end our time with a chaser. You might get to hear crazy stories about our pets or just silly movie recommendations. Give us a listen. We are the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy Podcast. Welcome to Getting Down and Wordy, the etymology slash music podcast. I'm Russell Perkle. I'm Hannah, and I am also on the podcast. And today on this one, we are talking about... The uh, hit song from The Little Mermaid, Poor Unfortunate Souls. Poor Unfortunate Souls, yes we are. And along with the song in honor of Pride Month, I suppose. we're Happy Pride Month, everybody! <laughs> we're also going to talk about drag. The word, its drag. etymology and origins. How did it come to... How did a word meaning to kind of pull something along the ground come to mean... Uh, to dress up in the clothing of what is considered to be the opposite gender of yourself, you know? <laughs> we'll see. We'll find out. That's a, yeah, you know what? That's a good, that's a very good uh, teaser. Um, that's a taste of the mu- magic of etymology, I think. <laughs> yeah, we did it. We gave them a little taste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, June is... Pride Month, I, I suppose, uh, and of course, well, all other months you are meant to hide in shame. <laughs> in June, we cast off the shackles of shame and we go forth and be proud. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, maybe a controversial thing to say, but I always feel like as as asexuals, I, I never really feel as if I know if we're included in the uh, in the LGBT. QIA plus uh, team or not, you think, know, or rather, I don't yeah. know if they want us there or not. I, I guess is more more the reality of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think I'm just such a contrarian. If uh, if I'm not invited, I want to be part of it even more. Uh, and also, I just I feel kind of queer. <laughs> I just do. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a funny <laughs> thing, right? I, I feel that too. And then at the same time, I kind of feel just not bothered by it. You know, it's like, I, I feel like mm-hmm. it, it, it's okay if people want to conceptualize LGBT as a thing that does not include me. That's okay. I, I don't mind it, honestly. I 
Well, for me, it's more like, um, even if I myself don't feel like queer enough, and, and it, you guys, there's no such thing as queer enough. If you're queer, then you're queer. You could always you're be part more, of the club. You know, there's, there's never you enough. You could always be more. There's never too much queer. You're, there's no ceiling. As, on uh, it. You can always add more queer. As Matthew McConaughey famously said, those are rookie numbers. You got to pump those numbers <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. I I hate the thought of somebody else um, feeling like they don't belong somewhere that they would feel welcomed. So even if it's not something that I necessarily feel all the time as if I'm included, I definitely want um, other asexuals and people that are a little bit more alone and maybe not so as confident in their asexuality. I want them to feel included and welcome in the community. So I think on that level, I'm a little bit more, uh, hey, let us in. But, uh, you know, uh, I'm as queer as I am, and I can't, I've tried going queerer. Um, It's just very difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Not as easy as they make it look on Bravo, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Mm. Yeah, so, uh, you know, in addition to Pride Month, which actually, it's funny, because it's not yet. We're uh, we're recording on May 23rd. So, in a way, it, mm-hmm. as always, this is the... Uh the pain of being a podcaster. You're you're always speaking to a world that you can never touch, you know, because mm-hmm. you're you're uh, living in the past, essentially, you know. So we're not even Basically. we're not even feeling prideful yet, unfortunately. I am. I feel like I, I, I this is a secret treat, like uh, opening up a birthday card a couple of weeks before your birthday. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a little guilty pleasure. It's coming. Pride Month is coming. I'm just indulging a little early. <laughs> it's Pride Month Eve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, you know, especially for this month, what was I? I was um, scrolling social medias, as as I mm. always do. And, uh, you know, I saw the, the critical role guy. What's his name? Matt Mercer wearing Matt a, Mercer. a T-shirt that says, like, drag is not a crime, you know? And yeah. I was just thinking, you know, it's like such a small gesture. And I was just thinking, you know, anybody can can do something to essentially protest this, um, all of these like really fascist, draconian, uh, hateful mm-hmm. laws and, and things that are being pushed right now. And I, I thought like the least we can do is like make an episode about. Oh, my the topic, God. Yeah. Like know? the bar is literally so freaking low dom Cheadle on his snl uh um on his snl bit uh he wore a t-shirt that said protect trans kids yeah yeah and right. everybody said what a hero like that should be something that is literally the least that we can do as a society is protect kids awesome and we can't even do that much yeah just yesterday i saw that uh maynard james keenan the lead singer at tool mm-hmm. he uh wore drag for his show in florida you know, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Great. Great work, guys. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, you know, of course, always, I, I think always I've been a supporter of LGBT things as, as any, uh, you know, right thinking mm-hmm. person is. But I think today when you see how it is essentially the, let's say the, the front wedge, it's like the cutting edge of protest in in society now Mm -hmm. you know it's like just existing as 
an L- LGBT or queer person, this is like the most mm-hmm. radical and revolutionary thing you can do to, let's say, push or champion democracy in America in 2023. And uh, I don't know, have I just topped the most woke thing that we've said <laughs> thus far? I don't know. But, uh, so anyway, so it's, for me, I, I come f- I, I've come from a place of just being kind of generally supportive to actually being like um, feeling this kind of inspiration that, that a lot of people talk about when they talk mm-hmm. about, you know, trans people or drag or all these things. Whereas like, I, I've never been someone who watched Drag Race or something. I don't mm-hmm. know about you. Did you ever watch Drag Race? Um, I never really did. Uh, I think... Um, we'll get into it when we talk about, like, what drag is, uh, but the performative femininity, whether it's, uh, male or female performers, femininity just isn't that interesting to me. Yeah, and similar here, it's like, I don't care about fashion, I don't care about makeup, things like this, so, uh, in a similar Mm -hmm. way, it's just not a show that's, like, for me, I guess, you know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I feel like I'm performing drag when I wear makeup. It's not even, it's like, femininity just does, it's not something that really resonates um, too much. Like, I'm a cis woman, but, uh, you know, that whole, I need to perform my femininity for a crowd, um, or I want to perform my femininity for a crowd, um, it's, I could take it or leave it. Yeah, and. Personally, I really wonder about the future of this whole concept of drag, just just because our concepts mm-hmm. of like gender and binaryness are evolving, and you know, even now they're starting to run mm-hmm. into it. You know, where it's like, yeah, can a trans person be a drag queen or drag king? It's a little complicated because they're not exactly mm-hmm. crossing gender in this traditional sense, and different drag queens have different ideas about it. You know. Hmm. Yeah, um, it, it's it's very drag itself is a performance of gender uh, and hyper masculinity or hyper femininity. It's more commonly hyper hyper femininity, um, just because that is a more interesting show than hyper masculinity. But I would consider like um, professional wrestling. I consider that drag. That's um, a performance of hyper masculine. Um, behavior it just doesn't i think it's a reasonable um, thing to say i mean i i i uh i think i was listening to uh maybe it was how did this get made or something like that i think it was on a podcast mm-hmm. but they were saying how uh vin diesel you know the the action yeah. actor they were saying he took a lot of his inspiration from drag and hung out with a lot of drag performers in the same sense of like okay i'm performing my gender and to, mm-hmm. to get this sense of an over-the-top gender performance, you know, I think it's an interesting point, but I, I don't know is it exactly what these words traditionally, what people were traditionally thinking about when they thought about drag, you know, they, they I, th- I think this is just a example of the evolution of it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> this is a totally, totally off tangent, but I just watched this video about, um, <laughs> What was it, man? It was like this uh, K sound with a glottal stop. So it's oh, like yeah, yeah. it's like whenever you finish a word like think, and then you hear the K at the end. 
Uh-huh. And uh, it's something that, so as opposed, so let's, I'll try to make it a normal way. Like, uh, I think about it all the time, right? You don't hear a particular song there. But if I say, like, I think about it all the time, you hear that special pop, uh, which comes yeah, from, like. that glottal stop. Come, yeah, it comes from closing off your vocal mm-hmm. cords. Uh, but anyways, now, as I'm recording this with you, because it tends to happen whenever you're really enunciating, so doing presentations, <laughs> public speaking, and now I'm, like, driving myself crazy because I keep hearing myself doing it. <laughs> It's like, I I catch it every time. It's really bothering me. (laughs) Unpopular opinion for a podcaster, but I'm actually a big fan of plosives. (laughs) Yeah, they're pretty good, I guess. I find them very soothing to listen to. I mean, some languages have these, like, strong plosives or glottal stops built in naturally, you know, some Mm -hmm. languages. It's like one of their consonant sounds, you know. Yeah. But, so, why are we talking about The Little Mermaid? And we're talking about drag. These seem like two totally Speaking unrelated, of Florida. <laughs> unrelated topics. <laughs> Do you think they were off the coast of Florida? Could this be possible? Does the Little Mermaid take place in the Bermuda Triangle? I mean, Disney is literally in Florida. Doesn't it make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, too. And, and, and then, like, yeah. Bermuda Triangle, it's a place where weird things happen, like magic you see a lot of manatees manatees were mistaken as mermaids manatees are in florida dang so he's like the <laughs> he's like the prince of florida <laughs> he's like is he the son of ultimate florida man <laughs> yeah 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 it's, uh, marries a manatee florida man marries a manatee <laughs> Is, is he like the son of Jimmy Buffett? Or I'm trying to decide speak, who. Yet he falls in love with her anyway. Who would be the prince of, of Florida? Guy Fieri's not from Florida, <laughs> is he? He's from somewhere else. I think I, think I want to say Jersey. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, he looks yeah. like he belongs in either Florida or, or Jersey. Yes, one of those. <laughs> okay, so why mm-hmm. why are we talking about both drag and the Little Mermaid? What's the connection? Mm-hmm. Well, the connection is divine. Yeah, I agree. I mean, oftentimes yeah. our ideas we come up with are pretty divine, if I say so myself. No, Russell, I mean divine the drag queen. Uh, I got my he- hand on my <laughs> forehead now, like I'm in a, a Naruto cartoon. Um, <laughs> yeah, so divine the drag queen. Okay, so she's in The Little mm-hmm. Mermaid or something. Um, so a lot of people think that Ursula the Sea Witch, uh, who sings, in fact, Poor Unfortunate Souls, uh, a lot of people think that her design is based uh, largely on Divine. Yeah, and this who, is... Uh, actually, yeah, uh, Little Merman came out in 89. Uh, Divine um, unfortunately passed away in the March of 88, so... Uh, well, he never saw The Little Mermaid. It was probably in production at a period where he was uh, uh, really, really popular um, as a performer. Yeah, yeah. And this is pretty much confirmed. I was trying to find in my notes exactly uh, where it said it. But basically, the I, I would say the, the development of Ursula was kind of passed around through a few different people. They're trying to decide what mm-hmm. exactly she should look like. and. And again, there's that glottal stop again. (laughs) (laughs) This is like uh, that, like that movie Pie or the number twenty three. I'm just like driving myself insane. I've I've gone too deep into (laughs) into pronunciation 
uh, YouTube videos. But um, so basically, they had this pretty like generic uh, looked like a lot of the other like evil Disney women, like a really thin, mm-hmm. slender, tall look, like the Sleeping Beauty, Maleficent, etc. Yeah. Know? And, and so even that in itself is kind Cruella. of kind of yeah, Cruella too. You're right. Yeah, even that itself yeah, is kind of a evil. big breakthrough of this movie is that mm-hmm. for once you had a different kind of villain, you had a different body type, uh acceptable in a in a movie, you know, for a woman. Which is cool. Yeah, yeah. Which is great. And it's why a lot of it's why I think Ursula um, as a villain resonates so much with a lot of people. It's also because she's not, like, explicitly evil. She's a capitalist. She's a charlatan. But she's not, like... Uh, ultimately, she gives Ariel what she wants. She uh, uh, She's just, like, a sleazy car salesman about it. Um, and I think a lot of people can identify with that. <laughs> and she... <laughs> yeah, we're all a little sleazy, let's be honest. A little I mean, bit this sleazy, is, just a little bit. I, I think these, like, literary critics and such, they they take a little bit of license with this, because, I mean, she is obviously trying to trick Ariel. She was not really trying to help her, you know? She, oh, she yeah. intentionally becomes Vanessa just to prevent Ariel mm-hmm. from getting the prince, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when they uh really mess with your credit at the at the sleazy car sales place. But um ultimately like she doesn't kill puppies. Mm-hmm. She doesn't curse a baby. She uh <laughs> makes a really bad deal with uh a kid who's too naive to know any different. And I mean like it, she's that's not that's just American. <laughs> really? How many of us have like like tens of thousands of dollars in student loans for the exact same reason? I, I mean, again, typical Florida behavior. You know, it's just, <laughs> you go to Florida, what do you expect? You know? <laughs> yeah, so, so that's the connection here. So uh, Ursula, the villain in the little... speaking of body type, we, Russ and I, we, we did uh, figure out um, original Ursula, only six tentacles, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, there she is on the screen, just six. I mean, I guess it's, some people say it's kind of Doc Ock logic, Dr. Octopus, where he's got four tentacles, but he's also got four human limbs. So, technically, Ursula's oh. got the two arms, so it's like, it's it's an eight, but That's it's definitely like, limbs. it's a poor man's eight, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a poor man's eight. <laughs> a Florida eight, if you will. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, so we've got Ursula based on the um, drag queen Divine, uh, which we'll, we'll mm-hmm. talk about a bit more about Divine. And, and basically, like, we had a few different people involved in this um creation of ursula like we said originally she had kind of like a tall thin look um later on she kind of had more of like this look like a puffer fish or something like that she had spine she looked like a manta ray for a little while as well um and so different people were just kind of doing sketches uh and then they had I was, I'm looking here frantically to see who actually made the 
uh, uh, Rob Minkoff, who I believe is kind of like one of the directors of Little Mermaid. Let's make sure. Mm. Uh, so, so he made this kind of sketch where she she looked a little bit more like a a kind of a like a divine type here, and so he was the the art director in the. Uh, oh, he's the director of the whole movie. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's so many, so many people were involved in this. It was kind of hard to keep it straight. Uh, who was who? <laughs> and um, yeah, no, it's it definitely. And again, uh, it is based in an era of uh, celebrating kind of queerness and queer coding. So it's difficult to keep anything straight with that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and I will say, like, so Rob Minkoff himself is not LGBT or gay or anything like that. But a lot of people, other people who did work on the uh, story were, in fact. Uh, so this was an, mm-hmm. a kind of an interesting feature. Like, I, I find myself when researching The Little Mermaid thinking a lot about, like, in what ways was it kind of a... Uh, good representation or a good uh kind of think piece for lgbt let's say uh progress in the world and in what ways Mm -hmm. is it kind of you know quote unquote problematic um so little mermaid came out in 1989 uh interesting thing about it they disney was really hesitant to make this because actually the movie splash had just come out a few years before which i never thought about that but it's like 80s was really the mermaid uh decade i suppose like this weird one of these weird things where something just becomes trendy kind of out of nowhere yeah like zombies in the in the tens for sure yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and why didn't we get a zombie princess i don't know we should I feel cheated out of a zombie prince. Well, I mean we got Corpse Bride. Oh, that's true. That's pretty good. Not a Disney thing, but yeah. definitely fills that need. And um Nightmare sure. Before Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also true, yeah. No also I don't think it's Disney, but yeah, it still definitely fills that mm. fills that uh spot in our heart for sure. Definitely. And two things uh Little Mermaid is kind of, let's say, uh noted for is is one, it just kind of revived disney itself right so disney was really struggling Mm -hmm. at this point they didn't have so many uh successes and disney disney uh disney uh little mermaid was such a huge success that it kind of like revived their whole cartoon movie industry you know it won two academy awards uh and generally here this was like their first movie of what probably we both grew up in was this like life of you know watching Disney musicals, seeing new ones come out every couple of years or so. Yeah, it's really difficult for me to picture a struggling Disney corporation. <laughs> yeah, but there was a time for sure before they owned everything. They bought Star Wars. They bought Marvel. They bought National. They 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 bought National Geographic. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, gee whiz! So Ariel was really she did it. She's the one. Yeah, she did it. Yeah, and I mean, with the <laughs> legal battles that are coming, we can only assume soon they will buy Florida itself. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Disney buy your enemies. Uh, another kind of funny little, let's say, factoid or detail. So the uh, songwriter and. Uh, 
let's say musical you know composer for this they were the same ones for um little shop of horrors actually is that amazing yeah also really incredible uh you know movie and yeah very catchy very good lyricists and one of the first things they contribute is just a little funny detail is uh they had this uh, minor character, a crab named Clarence, and he was he was kind of like a little English butler type, you know. And, and so, uh, <laughs> okay. Howard Ashman, the songwriter, he made the suggestion of making him Jamaican instead, and then essentially re reimagining the musical style of the whole thing to be kind of more Caribbean uh, feeling, you know. I see. I see. So he is saying. I always wondered about that as a choice. So he is saying, no, this is a Sebastian. And even though we're in Florida, everything's going to be Jamaican. (laughs) 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 Which. Very far off the coast of Florida. Which. News to me that Sebastian is a crab. Did you know this? (laughs) Am I the only one Uh, who's surprised by this? Well, yeah, because he's credited as Sebastian the Crab. Does he not look like a lobster? I mean, he looks how is he nothing a crab? like anything. <laughs> he has a shell. Lobsters don't have that weird head poking out. That's he a good point. He looks like a snail with legs. He's like a weird little homunculus, essentially. Yeah, he looks like not. And have you seen, do you know where a crab's mouth is? Have you seen a crab Roughly. Eat? It's not with their face. That's pretty true. Yeah, they kind of have this like chest mouth type thing going on, I think. Yeah. yeah it's horrifying. <laughs> I think I think surely Sebastian is like a previous victim of Ursula. He made some kind of deal, you know. <gasps> oh boy. Uh, well, he did decide to come under to see maybe he was uh a human who just wanted to hang out down where it's wetter. <laughs> Yeah, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Down where right. sweater, best bring a sweater, down by the sea. I think that's how it goes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, did you see the, you saw the, uh, what's her name? Melissa McCarthy, is that right? Melissa McCarthy, I got it, yeah. yeah. You saw her performance? Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. Um, I think it's definitely inspired by Pat Carroll. Uh, and also that uh, I think she made a conscious decision to... Uh, mimic divine because if you look at that performance like she makes the same face that divine makes in a lot of his uh um his you know bit pieces and and comedy Mm. comedy roles yeah i i thought it's kind of meh but honestly all the live action disney stuff besides jungle book i guess is it's hard to live up to a cartoon. Yeah, it's like they can an- oh they can gosh, be animated yes. in their face and body in a way that it's very difficult for yeah, a human. Why would being. you go with something that's more limiting? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which I think Disney knows this good and well too. I think they're like we're going to make these movies that are objectively worse, but it's a way to make some more money. So I I, mm-hmm. I don't think they care. And honestly, like sometimes it's nice, like Aladdin, much worse movie than the mm-hmm. animated one of course but it was cool it's nice to um to see it <laughs> you know? indulge in nostalgia every now and then yeah yeah it, but again like oh, yeah disney definitely knows what they're doing yeah probably the most like glaring thing with aladdin too is like the villain was so much less you know uh impactful so much less inspiring you know the jafar I'm- in 
barely remember Jafar. He had this really soft voice. He was doing this really strange performance. Nothing like the cartoon Jafar at all. It's really interesting. Which cartoon Jafar was queer coded in a very different way, I think. Yeah, yeah. Queer coding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously, yeah, Ursula is a funny one because I don't know. Do people think of her as queer coded in the same way? I mean, I, I think it's news to most people that she's mm-hmm. like based on a drag queen in that way you know it's certainly not Mm. something they market (laughs) you know right (laughs) i mean do you remember when did you first hear about this uh little like pop fact that ursula was based on a drag queen so i was raised in a house where um my parents started taking us to pride festivals uh, when we were in the strollers uh, so this is a, um, a pop fact that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And is it like, mm-hmm. do you feel like the queer community and drag performers, do you feel like, like Ursula is like a hero for them? Or do you feel like it's like a kind of grotesque thing that they kind the- of hate because it, it's mm-hmm. not, not exactly the most uh, flattering, you know, portrayal? No, no. And there's a couple of different um, schools. Like, the uh, the older queer people that I know are more um, celebratory of Ursula and uh, more like, you know, that was how I, uh, how my first introduction to butch lesbians or, because uh, uh, ultimately, butch lesbians that I know tend to identify with Ursula quite a lot. Um, and... You know, not so much. I don't know a whole lot of drag queens. Uh, I have uh, seen uh, drag queens on like TikTok or YouTube that are um, more celebratory of the whole divine connection um, and body positivity connection because uh, that's what a lot of modern drag is. It's not just um, you know self acceptance. Right. It's also and a lot, a not like part of it is playing villains. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're not meant to be evil. Uh, but I, no. I think, you know, even, you know, you talked about wrestling earlier. How many times are we, we going to reference Goldust, that wrestler we saw that one time in the <laughs> Attitude Era wrestling podcast? But man, he, he yeah. really made a big impression. But yeah, uh, again, it's like, I, I think that in many, let's say, stages, many uh, scenarios, mm-hmm. many contexts, it's like that's kind of the only place for them. So even drag kind of has this interesting history of of villainy in that Mm -hmm. same way uh i i saw this quote oh yeah tell me i saw this quote it is really heavy for a kid to only exist as a villain or a joke in an animated series which yeah pretty straightforward Mm -hmm. quote and then uh i saw this was from rebecca sugar and suddenly i thought oh man genius (laughs) (laughs) you know (laughs) It always comes back. I love Steven Universe. Oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely uh, because a lot of the villains were queer coded, and the only time that you ever saw yourself was in queer coded characters, and those are only villains. Uh, it makes sense that you know a lot of older queer folks identify more with uh, the villains. Mm. It's and it, Probably, I mean, objectively, Ursula is uh, uh, Ursula. Uh, objectively, 
um, Cruella Deville is the uh, absolute worst human being that has ever existed. Why would there be enough demand to make a live action movie for it? Do you think of her as queer coded as well? I do, I do. Uh, mostly because she's financially um, taking care of herself. She's professionally uh, taking care of herself. And she's unmarried. She doesn't she's have like a, a partner. Woman. Yeah, yeah. It's a good point. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fast. That's a very good point. And she's really only interested. The only uh, you know human interaction other that uh, that she's interested other than her lackeys is her um, best female friend, and she rips on her husband all the time. Oh yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Very compelling point. The wild thing is this seems to come back to the Hayes Code. Uh, do you know about this? This is like in Hollywood, the kind yeah. of morality code where movies had to be like had to conform to. Yeah, they couldn't be too dirty or too immoral or or. Mm-hmm. And so, it you know, I hear that there was a time in Hollywood before the Hayes Code where actually like things were pretty extreme like there was like you know sex and Mm -hmm. like uh immorality and uh you know these kind of portrayals of very bad people and so on which i've never seen any of these really early movies but it's interesting to think about because i think we just generally think old-fashioned early stuff was super super moral Mm -hmm. but when you think about books weren't conservative you know books weren't conservative movies are just books that you can see visually (laughs) but anyways so there was at a, a point around. I, I think I do the, have thoughts on that actually. I let's hear your and thoughts. And it does sort of uh, come back to to drag a little bit. Um, I think that uh, the forefront of any sort of technology is going to be artists. Yeah, and artists just by nature are provocative. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I could see it. And if you get there before the police do, then you better, uh, you know do your thing as quickly as you can with as much gusto as you can because chances are they're going to come in and police it. Yeah, you can make a new space for yourself that's still free and open in order to express yourself. Oh yeah, before the Hays Code, before there was Mm -hmm. like any kind of um, standards in cinema, uh, like nationalized standards in cinema, it was a wild west. There were no regulations. There was Mm -hmm. no policing. Yeah, so the the Hays Code came up in like 1934, and it lasts until 1968. And so, uh, not only did it say, you know, don't show a bunch of sex and stuff on on the films, it also just generally said, you know, things have to end in a moral way. You know, the the villain cannot win stuff like mm-hmm. this. And they also just generally said, like, uh, positive portrayals of homosexual characters were not allowed. You know, so like if you were showing someone who seemed to be like they might be homosexual or have some of those tendencies, well, obviously they can't uh, succeed because homosexuality is a sin, according to the people who made this thing. But the effect that this had really messed up. It's pretty messed up, I think, obviously. But the effect that this had was if you're, let's say, an actor or if you are a writer making a story. If you want to present some gay characters or whatever, well, they have to be the villains in the thing, you know? So mm-hmm. this was not only a thing that made, um, you know, that, that made people like legally have to demonize homosexuality. This is also mm-hmm. weirdly a thing that made opportunities for homosexuals to act like homosexuals, you know, mm-hmm. or, or not just homosexuals, obviously queer people, drag people, whatever. Um, 
Which is also, I think, a really fascinating side of it, where it's like, this at the same time kind of gave them a space, gave them an opportunity to, you know, be very, let's say, flamboyant, be very performatively Mm -hmm. queer in a way that was totally acceptable, because that's kind of heel behavior, you know, that's classic, like, heel behavior. But again, coming back to Rebecca Sugar's point, uh, it's kind of messed up for a kid whenever that's what you're watching, you know. Yeah, you, that's an excellent, excellent point. But some other uh, examples that came up uh, when I was looking into particularly Disney's, you know, tendency to queer code all their villains. So uh, in Pocahontas, Governor Ratcliffe, uh, he was the only ma- male character oh, yeah. to have makeup. He had braided hair and bows. He wore pink. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scar a Pug and a person who uh, attended to his every whim who was very very obviously in love with him yeah and, and some people say it's similar story with Gaston and his little buddy in Beauty and the mm-hmm. Beast which I think they played up in the live action one which I don't know I didn't uh, really live action, didn't register uh, with me Le- yeah, LeFou, I think, was uh, was like explicitly yes he was explicitly queer like he he uh was identifying as queer, at least to himself. Gaston, mm-hmm. I think, to me, it felt like they were trying to imply that he was probably, like, a closeted homosexual, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel know. like a lot that, that's sort of a trope whenever somebody's, like, overly performatively masculine. It's kind of a trope to be like, oh, you're compensating for the fact that you're gay. Yeah. But really, masculinity, femininity has no... It's not... It related to sexuality nearly as much as people think it is. Yeah, these are all old-fashioned ideas at this point. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, Scar in The Lion King, which I, I think for the most part with Scar, it's just kind of the way he speaks, you know? Like, uh, he has mm-hmm. this kind of lilting, sort of uh, mannered uh, way of speaking and kind of body language. But I, I definitely yes, got that read very... when I was a kid, too, you know? Yeah, he has very slinky body language. That's true, that's true. But I always read that as as like sneaky rather than as gay. I think even there was I I didn't do the research specific on this because we're not talking about mm-hmm. Scar. But I remember there's this weird thing where he makes a reference to another movie that the actor was in, and in this other movie the actor was like kind of queer coded, you know. Mm-hmm. Which I was like, okay, this is kind of a proof. But maybe I should have looked that up because that's kind of an interesting thing. We'll see. Yeah. Um, Captain Hook in Peter Pan, which I don't know mm-hmm. about this one. What, what is the uh, what is queer about Captain Hook? I have no idea. I, I don't yeah. even know when was the last time I saw this. Yeah, yeah, and and Peter Pan is one of those movies that uh, 2023 watch uh, makes it very very problematic, <laughs> racist, sexist, a, a whole bunch of of. Uh, not so great um, attitudes about uh, gender and race and and sexuality. Captain Hook was queer coded uh, in that he was again he had the uh, lackey that was for some reason in love with him, but also uh, he was very fashionable, uh, had very big hair, uh, beautiful true. hats and coats. Yeah, I remember he had kind um, of frilly. There's some frilly element to his costume. Which, yes. When did frills become gay? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah, frills were like the height of of masculine beauty in the 1700s. What are you even talking about? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. What's what's uh mm-hmm. what's uh and it, and then people said also Barbosa in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Again, I didn't notice. I don't know. Maybe I don't mm-hmm. have such good like gaydar to notice queer coding. I don't know. Yeah, that one I don't see so much. I think the only real um evidence for that is is more interested in apples than in women, but that's like ace energy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that either, but yeah, this sounds right. Um, and then for me, I, I as we mentioned, also Jafar, I think. Just again, yes. kind of just generally, though. He has this kind of like effete quality to his mannerisms mm-hmm. and speaking that just tend to seem effete. to be intentionally. Wow. Yeah. I always forget that effete is a word. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a word people have directed at me fairly often. So I, I oh, remember. no. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I also read um, someone said uh, Tom and Jerry. Not that it's Disney, but I just thought that was really interesting. I mean, like, uh, obviously, Bugs Bunny, classic uh, yes. classic cross-dresser. I don't know if you, we could oh, go as far as to... Oh, you keep a gender on that bunny. Call him a drag queen. But... I saw these really weird arguments that Tom and Jerry, it's actually kind of like they're in love with each other or something, mm-hmm. which I, I don't know. I think that's sure like I'll a popular that. trope whenever there's enemies is, oh, they must be secretly in love with each other. But mm. you can only make so many episodes until you start to veer off into that territory. And there were lots and lots and lots of Tom and Jerry episodes. Yeah, it's really true. Not really related, but I was just thinking, because I'm scrolling through here, I was like, okay, Hercules may be the villain, or maybe Hercules himself, you know? Oh, Hades. (laughs) Yeah, Hades was queer-coded for sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but then I was also thinking, well, probably also, like, kind of, uh, what would you call it, Jew-quoted, Jew-coded, you know? It's like, uh, oh, I I think that's the other thing, you know? It's like, there's this problematic tendency to make villains kind of gay. There's also this problematic Mm -hmm. tendency to make them kind of Jewish. You know, yeah, in cartoons, yeah, it can get real, real darn problematic, I should say. Yeah. So, uh, finally, talking about kind of villainy and and drag, this kind of thing, you know, I I think for Ursula, they seem to have picked maybe like the the roughest, most like, uh, just kind of deranged drag queen possibly. Yes. Possibly. Oh ever, my god. You know. I don't think it was intentionally. To me, it seems like they mm-hmm. they may have even seen hairspray, and that mm-hmm. led them to think about it. Uh, I, this was news for me. So, so of course, mm-hmm. sorry to jump ahead so much, but we're talking about Divine, uh, mm-hmm. the drag persona of Harris Glenn Milstead, and his probably his most mainstream, uh, besides the Pink Flamingos thing, which we'll mm-hmm. talk about, is uh, he played the mother of the of the protagonist in hairspray and yeah edna turnblad yeah and this was this was news to me and also it was news to me that this is why always they have ever since they have a a man play this role they they cross gender the role oh and so this was why of course that divine was the reason yeah yeah so this is the first one you know so after Mm -hmm. that they just kept doing it and you know because you know in the in the movie version like the one I was exposed to as a movie, this was uh, John Travolta playing this part. You know, yeah, that was the first time I saw Hairspray as well. Um, 
and it's it it's really sad because um divine he always he liked the stage name divine uh, although he did use he him pronouns mm-hmm. um he was the sort of drag queen that uh does it for uh not so much the enjoyment but for the money he used to say that the best part of drag was taking it off yeah i i found this uh i feel skeptical about it of course you kind of have to take mm-hmm. people for their words so mm-hmm. we have to assume he was being honest about it but just judging by his just his general behavior in life i, I don't know if i really buy it you know like he seemed mm-hmm. to throw these lavish parties where he was uh divine he of course performed a lot as divine and um, yeah, I, I don't know. To me, I mm-hmm. I think that probably he got something out of this. I mean, I, I think he's, I think he was a probably a person with some struggles, and I, I think maybe mm-hmm. happiness was just kind of a, a hard thing for him to attain. You know, and it's something uh, his um, his manager said that he was. He had never seen him happier than in the um, month leading up to his death because he was ha- finally getting professional success and he was getting recognized as a male actor, which is something that he'd always wanted. And um, he was actually, he died the night before he was scheduled to uh, do a spot role on Married with Children. Um, he... Uh, literally the night before the night that he died um he had just done dinner after uh rehearsing for that role he was supposed to shoot the next day and it was going to be a really big breakout role for him um but he'd always wanted to be known as a male actor mm-hmm. um it was his relationship with john waters uh and the dreamlander crew that sort of uh, solidified his dra- his drag persona of divine, and um, anything that John Waters is involved in tends to be a little bit over the top. Mm. Um, John Waters at this period in his life was sort of obsessed with creating the filthiest film that had ever existed, and that's where we get pink flamingos. Yeah, yeah, and there was a before we talk about pink flamingos, there's like this uh, the first one I think. I was trying to find the name of it again real quick. And I'll also mm-hmm. say while I'm, while I'm kind of trying to search here. Uh, yeah, I believe it's that one. Uh, that John Waters, he, he also kind of had this description of Divine that uh, he had no desire to be a woman or to pass as a woman. He was trying to be like a monster. He was trying to like scare people to be like a Godzilla figure something like mm, this yeah the know. godzilla of drag uh, again at the same time divine also uh seemed to really enjoy you know makeup and uh mm-hmm. cosmetology he worked as a as a hairdresser for many years yeah. he seemed to enjoy this job and so i, I don't know I, again I, I think it's probably a little more complicated than to just to say that he did not actually want to be doing drag wanted to mm-hmm. be you know a man perform as a man the whole time you know it was somewhat complicated uh especially from the um relationship that he had with his family after his family Mm -hmm. uh, discovered pink flamingos for example um they were so revolted that they moved to florida and didn't speak to him for nine years Ah, and probably this is uh 
they were there in Florida and they talked to the creators mm-hmm. of Little Mermaid about ta- <laughs> something. The Florida connection keeps <laughs> getting stronger, <laughs> you guys. This is the Florida episode. So I think it was... And the thing about this John Waters movies, and I don't know about Pink Flamingo, so I'm about to learn, but uh, mm-hmm. they were just separate to any like... Uh, LGBT, you know, like a conservative outrage or anything. They were just really gross. Like, uh, I think it's Eat Your Makeup, but I'm not really sure. It was one of the early ones. Yeah, that was one of them. Uh, They were essentially, it was all about these friends trying to compete to show who is the most disgusting. And the last scene is like, John Waters, he followed this dog around until the dog took a poop. And then Divine picked up the poop and ate it. Yeah, that was Pink Flamingos. That was Pink Flamingos, wow. Yeah, that was Pink Flamingos. And uh, it's worth noting, uh, it was not Divine's idea uh, (laughs) to do this. John Waters, actually, uh, when he first suggested this, Divine thought that he was joking. And it wasn't until the day that they started filming that scene that he learned, oh, no, this man is not joking. Mm. This this is not going to be a plastic turd. so I, I I understand. So when I read the synopsis of Pink Flamingos, because I didn't see the movie, I I have uh, we discussed at the top. I'm asexual. I'm also sex repulsed. Um, I, I I just sex is not something that I identify with, which is a reason that I'm often not welcome in in really queer spaces that celebrate sexuality. And I completely understand that. This is one of those areas. <laughs> I had to take like three running goes at the synopsis without gagging. Um, it involves a lot of scatology. It involves um, cannibalism, uh, sexual assault, um, incest, voyeurism, pretty much every single uh, vile thing that you can imagine yeah yeah. like i i I was joking this movie really should have just been called the aristocats aristocrats (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, aristocats was a way different movie if they had faced those characters (laughs) another disney connection (laughs) 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 but it was like an exercise in poor taste is how john waters describes it he wanted to really it's about uh these two rivals here that um divine's character is the filthiest person alive Mm. and they want to prove that they're the filthiest people alive um ultimately uh divine ends up giving a blowjob to her son uh the furniture gets cursed um a guy gets emasculated to death uh by people that he was uh keeping in the basement so that he could rape and sell the babies to lesbian couples to adopt. Like, it was a really, really fucked up movie. So, in fairness, if that is your only reference to drag culture, I would understand if you didn't think that drag was for kids. (laughs) That's not what drag culture is. No, it's pretty separate. John Waters. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what John Waters is. I I think we can all agree John Waters is not for kids. I mean, maybe someone would disagree. I don't know. (laughs) hard to imagine <laughs> yeah yeah and it's 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 a completely separate thing my uh parents actually um i told you i i grew up going to these pride rallies my parents just recently went to a um uh a protest um uh just outside of our city where uh there were some 
um, right wingers that didn't think that drag story time should be a thing in their city. And fortunately, the counter protesters outnumbered the protesters something like 75 to 1. Wow. It was okay. an absolute blowout. But uh, speaking of the Florida connection, um, the NAACP just recently announced that Florida has a uh, travel warning now uh, by the NAACP because uh, it's explicitly hostile to queer people. Yeah, sure. Uh, not surprising. I mean, you know, it's like you really want to see a lot of, yeah, it's sad to see that a lot of the pride parades there are canceled and Mm -hmm. everything, uh, because you really want to see, like, a lot of protest-type stuff happen. You want to see them kind of Mm -hmm. fight, but it's very understandable, because, like, the the odds of there being just a uh, mass shooting during a pride parade in in Florida yeah, are extremely high, <laughs> extremely high, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, so I understand. And, I understand why people would avoid creating this confrontation, you know. Mhm. And um you know, I haven't talked too much about it, but I do have a loved one in, down in Florida who's mm. going to be visiting up in and um the end of uh June. This uh, person is a gender queer lesbian. We don't know if if they're gonna feel safe going back down. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, it uh, it sucks that there's unfortunately, uh, you know, it's not something that's a stranger to say the black community mm-hmm. or a lot of POC communities, but there's a whole bunch of people that you know have to feel like refugees in their own country, and I think that sucks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't know if people realize, like, how real these these things are. Or, or, you know, oftentimes, as we did with the abortion topic when we did the episode about that, it's like we're looking back to the late 80s, early 90s, where mm-hmm. there were problems, of course, but everything was in such a frozen stasis that either the problems didn't affect you at all, or you just were able to not think about it you know it's like uh yeah. either but now it's to the state where the existence of you know uh drag rights trans rights lgbt etc it's like this is kind of the the only thing separating us from like a fascist uh uh religious state you know mm-hmm. which is Really upset. We'll get into it a little bit uh, during the Eurovision segment, but I was very, very excited to see how extremely gay this year's show was. And like it, during the whole Parade of Nations, when everybody came out with their flags, um, the Italian performer brought out the Italian flag, but also the uh, intersectional pride flag. Great. So uh, it, it's just it's heartening to see that um, you know. Nobody is going to be forced back into the closet if we can help it. And I think um, that would be a kind of cool segue into talking a little bit about um, the original drag queen, William Dorsey. Uh, yeah, Swan. yeah. We for sure had to start talking about drag itself. Let's uh, let's discuss the etymology of the word first. And yeah. then we'll, we'll talk about the kind of, let's say, origins and history of it. 
Uh, mm-hmm. So, so drag just as a word generally, meaning like to kind of pull something or to pull something where it's kind of rubbing across something. Uh, this yeah. this came from words like uh, in English dragon, but spelled differently, D R A G G E N, in the late 14th oh. century, uh, which meant to like to draw a uh, grapnel across the bottom of a lake and by grapnel here they mean kind of like a hook or an anchor right so the sense of like dragging something across the bottom of a body of water uh in order to try to hook something like maybe you're trying to search for an object that was down there or something really specific like meaning. fishing <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 fishing for junk perhaps or fishing for actual fish mm-hmm. i don't know um and this generally going all the way back to the, the Norse, to the Proto-Germanic, always having a form, something like Draga or Dragonon or mm-hmm. something, all the way back to the Proto-Indo-European, where it was something like Drek, uh, just generally meant to draw or pull something across the ground. Do you think that this has onomatopoetical roots? <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah, kind of the sound sounds kind yeah. of like a vibrating ground sound. I love it. Yeah, very much could mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, they, there's also an argument that it's connected to the Latin word trahere, uh, trahere, meaning Ooh. to pull something in the same way. Uh, but this is, they're not too sure. But it's an interesting okay. connection because, of course, tractor comes from this as well. And, of course, in oh, uh, Eurovision uh, song, we, we have a song yay. about a tractor as well, you know. So. I love it when things connect. Depending on how kind of conservative you are about it, we know for sure that this word drag, these are the same roots as like draft, like a draft of a, a liquid, a beer or whatever, draft beer, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, not too surprising there. Uh, I was interesting to see that draw comes from this and not just draw as into pull or draw up a rope or something, but even to draw as into create an image because, of course, you're dragging the pencil or oh. pen across the page to draw something. Huh. That's Very really cool, interesting. Right? Uh, and then if, if it connects to this kind of tract or traher Latin root, then we have a ton from there. So words like abstract meaning drawn from something, you know, away from something, let's say, attract, meaning to pull something toward, contract, meaning to get kind of drawn or pulled together, Uh, words like train, track, trail, tractor, retreat, distract, meaning to kind of pull someone away from what they're looking at, etc., by all coming from the same root. Oh, my goodness. Pretty cool. That's That's really, really cool. So, how does this word meaning to uh, drag something, to kind of pull something across something, how does it come to mean to wear the clothing of the opposing gender? Because you're going to have to drag me off the dance floor. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, there, there's kind of like, well, one, one uh, kind of really big accepted meaning for it uh, or meaning origin for it. And of course, this is coming back to theater, uh, mm-hmm. in which in Shakespearean times specifically, even though it happened earlier, but mainly in Shakespearean times, of course, women were not allowed to perform in plays because women were 
thought they should be, you know, kind of more private and not so, um, let's yeah. say, I don't know, in the public, they thought it was inappropriate. So, of course, Women men are famously bad actors. <laughs> I wasn't going to say, I mean, look at Melissa McCarthy's performance. <laughs> Come on. Uh, but the uh, Shakespeare, of course, all of the women's parts were played by men. And there's this uh, claim that they would talk about this as being in drag because they would wear these long dresses, long skirts that would drag mm -hmm. across the floor, right? Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting way to say it. it. It makes me wonder why drag wouldn't have emerged um, talking about also women in women's clothes. What do you mean? Because the same... Because you have the same kind of thing going on, right? Is the the um, fabric is going to be dragging, dragging on the floor. either way? Yeah, I guess yeah. it's true. Maybe as a woman, you're wearing those clothes for real, so you're probably not wearing clothes that are gonna go past your feet. Because then once you go out in the street, they're gonna get really dirty. You know, mm. I, I guess these men were probably putting on clothes that were not necessarily tailored specifically for them, but they're just walking across the stage, so it doesn't matter quite so much. Maybe it's that. Okay. Yeah, sure. All right. Um, so, this word drag and this general culture that it came out of uh, was a kind of a slang uh, used mostly in Britain around this time, so this was like 1870 or so, called Polari. And uh, mm. Polari coming from the Italian word parlare, meaning to talk, like parlar, you know. Oh. Uh, parlance is another word we kind of get from this. Um, Do we know what era this was? Again, around 1870, so like uh, 19, okay. late 19th century. Could have been as far back as the 16th century as well. Okay. And this was used in Britain mostly by actors, circus performers, wrestlers, merchants, sailors, criminals, sex workers, and gay people, the gay subculture mm -hmm. as well. And generally, this was used as a kind of a argot, like uh, argot meaning these sort of secret languages or intentionally mm -hmm. uh, not understandable languages. And it was basically built from a mixture of English, of course, also uh, Italian, and also uh, Romani or Romani, depending on how you like oh, to pronounce okay. it, right? And so a lot of the words came from Italian and Romani. Uh, mm. So this was basically for different reasons, but, but a lot of it was like you had a culture where maybe you were a criminal, maybe you were gay, maybe you were doing some kind of sex work. Or maybe you're just sort of related, associated with those people who do those things. And so you generally wanted ways to talk about things uh, that not everyone would catch on to, you know. Right, right. Now, little subtleties. Now, what other words do we uh, get from here? We do have a few others that are still kind of like around and, and kind of um, known. Uh, one is in the UK, they have this word, um, naff, meaning that something is bad, right? So that's, mm. that's naff or don't be naff, something like this. Uh, another one that we're very familiar with, uh, zhuzh. 
This actually oh. comes from Polari. So it's interesting that it also, of course, was kind of repopularized in drag culture and queer culture. Yeah. yeah. Do we yet know how it's spelled? Uh, they have it spelled here Z H O O S H. So that's their idea of how they'd like okay. to spell it. Uh, where does it come from? This comes from a Romani word, jujo, uh, meaning clean or neat. So oh. in its original sense, it meant like something was kind of cleaned up, almost like to spruce it up, right? Mm-hmm. Almost like it's dusted. For sure. Uh, an- another word that we're still pretty familiar with today is uh, butch, meaning like a, a kind of manly mm-hmm. woman or a manly gay person, something like that. Sure. Uh, fruit for a gay man seems to come from Polari as well. Uh, really? <laughs> I like this one, uh, manky, uh, meaning like dirty or worthless. Uh, this comes from Polari ah. as well. Uh, that makes sense. This is from a Italian word, mancare, meaning to be lacking in something. Mm. So that's that's one. That's kind of when you first look up drag origins, you find this, and you can find the connection mm-hmm. to Polari. Uh, but I want to talk about a couple other sort of possible roots. I, I, I get this feeling like generally when we talk about etymology, linguistics, things don't necessarily have just one root. You know, we see a lot of things where things converge or there's multiple influences. So one here, there's like a Yiddish word, uh, tragen, uh, coming from a German word like tragen or tragen, whatever. Uh, And this is just a word for where something. Exactly right. So they they thought it kind of came from this, right? So just as in we have this word cross-dress where you don't have any specific sense in cross-dress to the fact that you're looking like a woman. It's very possible in drag, too, as just kind of a way of saying you he he put it on, you know, something like that, mm-hmm. right? A more vague, I think I almost more, buy that more. Yeah, it's kind of like a more um, what uh, euphemistic uh, sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, one other thing. So uh, there were these masquerade balls in uh, around the same time, actually, uh, which were referred to as the grand rag. And in this case, of, of ah. course, uh, rag here was uh, associated with um, the clothes they would wear, but it's also uh, from possibly a phrase, interesting little idiom here, tag rag and bobtail, which just kind of meant the rabble, the common people. I don't know why. <laughs> I didn't find the answer to that. Uh, rag was considered to be the social underclass as well. And so something like a fancy rag ball was this idea that, um, you know, these were kind of more normal people, more like uh, proletariats, Mm -hmm. I guess, I suppose, but kind of getting dressed up in their finest clothes. And they're making fun of them a little bit by calling this like a grand rag, right? And if you don't pause for your glottal stop, you kind of drag those two words together and make it grand drag. Exactly. So you get grand drag. And then the queen of this would, of course, be the drag queen, right? Uh, ah. Interestingly, this is also the similar route to ragtime, this um, this type, this style of music. Yeah, right? I was going to so, ask about that. So ragtime was, was the kind of music that you might hear at one of these fancy rag balls, right? That makes sense to me. So uh, speaking of you know, these like grand rag balls. This is, of course, kind mm-hmm. of really, really tied into the history of drag queen as a as a concept, yeah? 
Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, and I think that goes back to, we hinted a little bit about this, uh, William Dorsey Swan, the uh, United States first drag queen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. First to self-identify mm-hmm. as a drag queen, even. Queen of drag, uh, mm-hmm. he called himself. Really incredible. I mean, again, coming back to this whole idea of like drag and just queer living is such a powerful protest, no matter what your mm-hmm. specific politics are just this general act of um you know fighting power uh it's Mm -hmm. crazy how to what extent just dressing as a woman you know achieves this on weirdly the highest possible Mm -hmm. level you know uh, Absolutely. So what are we... And this and every month, I think that it's uh, it's really important to remember that the uh, parents of uh, of queer resistance and, and like queer activism in the United States, um, a lot of them are uh, black and POC. Mm-hmm. Like uh, William Dorsey Swan was born uh, as an enslaved person in nineteen in eighteen sixty. Yeah. Like this is this is the roots. The roots are the roots of queer culture in America are, you know, in oppressed people. And, yeah, and yeah. the more that we whitewash it, the more I think we lose as a community. Yeah, absolutely. It, it seems like a lot of the attendees of these uh, drag balls that Swan would organize were also formerly enslaved mm-hmm. peoples as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that um, it's it, he hosted drag balls throughout the 80s and 90s in Washington, D.C., and a lot of these were like meant to be celebrations about, uh, you know, freedom. And, and most notably, um, it was uh, his 30th birthday bash, um, which was actually seen as the birth of violent resistance uh, in queer activism, because it... Um, it <laughs> His parties got broken up by um, law enforcement quite a lot, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And uh, it's like, whether you talk about, you know, queer and uh, LGBT culture and rights, or you talk about race rights, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. many people don't want to believe in the narrative, which is true, which is that, you know, these are really the, the kind of two defining through lines of american history you know it's like a racial oppression and uh struggle for civil rights and mm-hmm. you know gay lgbt and queer struggle for civil rights as well you know even from such an yeah. early time it's 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 so like mind-blowing to me to think about you know being a slave and then being a free person probably who's still struggling to you know, how do you live in a world where before you were property and now you're probably unemployable, probably uh, mm-hmm. still essentially treated like a slave? And then to also think about your, uh, you know, identity and expression at the same time. It's unimaginable, yeah. you know. Well, I think it's very interesting to note that uh, because these events were just by nature so secretive. Um, a lot of these uh, invitations to these um, to these uh, grand drags uh, uh, would be given at the YMCA, mm-hmm. um, at, and I just think that that's uh, an interesting through line. Like Very the YMCA yeah. has always been gay. 
Yeah, yeah. There's also a lot of like uh, kind of Maryland and uh, Northeast United States weird through lines too. I, I believe that Swan was uh, from Maryland originally. Of course, he moved to Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, Divine as well. Uh, right, lived and grew up in, in, in Maryland. Also. Uh, he's a Baltimore guy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hancock, Maryland for mm-hmm. Swan. Uh, and there's something else too, but I forgot now. Something about the directors of Little Mermaid, I think, also. Yeah. yeah. Which, um, oh, we didn't get into it, but uh, Little Mermaid, Hans Christian Andersen, also a really, really important um, moment for, uh, you know, the, the queer community. I think The Little Mermaid is one of these stories that gets retold with new cultural context mm. every couple of decades. Could be true. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's one of those stories that means something different. And it always, uh, um, almost always, uh, means something akin to liberation and, uh, you know, being honest with yourself. Yeah, so a lot of people see the movie as, like, problematic because, of course, she... Mm-hmm. She loses her voice. She essentially trades everything for a man and, and so on. And of course, she, uh, this man loves her, even though he basically doesn't know her at all because he can't talk mm-hmm. to her or whatever. But real uh, Florida man move. <laughs> I think you can read into this kind of, you know, almost like satirical kinds of pointing out the, the problems with gender relations, so on. But the original mm-hmm. story, pretty similar in many ways, but different in others. So, in a similar way, um, and I'll say Hans Christian Andersen, he wrote this story in uh, 1837. So interestingly, when you think about it, not that oh, far yeah. from the other things we've been talking about, even from the uh, from William Dorsey Swan's life and experiences, mm-hmm. not that he was likely to have read this, I don't know. But um, so in As a he was, man, I think he might have done. He was kind of basing this or drawing inspiration from, I'm going to say it's pronounced like Undyne, this like a uh, really ancient mermaid uh, tale, which I think was French. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in. If it's French, it's Undine. Undine. Okay, that'll work for me too. I'll buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Hans Christian Andersen, similar story. She, she uh, meets a sea witch who's a more minor character, not named at all. Uh, to try to uh, become a human uh, and the sea witch gives her a potion that gives her legs in exchange for her voice uh, And but her idea was like to get a soul actually she was trying to gain mm-hmm. her soul rather than just to you know get the man she was in love with uh, but the the way that she could get a soul was to marry a prince. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the ways that Hans Christian Andersen, because um, he was homosexual, and, and a lot of uh, scholars um, agree that this was written as like a love letter to um, a man that he was in love with and never could be with because they just didn't well match up sexually. Yeah, exactly. So Edward Collin, who was not himself uh, homosexual as far as we know. Right. Uh, and yeah, so anyways, the ending is the main difference because in The mm-hmm. Little Mermaid as the story, The Little Mermaid does not marry the prince. The The prince marries another human. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people read this as an expression of Hans Christian Andersen's 
uh, frustration in not being able to, you know, uh, fit into the role that he would need in order to be with the man that he loved, Edward Edward Collin. Yes. And it's worth kind of noting that uh, in the original story, uh, whenever the Little Mermaid would take a a step on her legs, uh, it caused incredible pain Mm -hmm. um, because it wasn't something that came natural to her. Yeah, yeah. So so the sense of uh, she was like, it was like she was walking on sharp knives anytime right she walked. yeah yeah and i've never had to deal with gender dysphoria i imagine that having to walk in the shoes of somebody that you aren't truly i imagine that that is a very painful experience yeah yeah so it's i don't know it's a fascinating thing because i i think like mm-hmm. if you were to construct a story today uh to be let's say very uh lgbt supportive very feminism supportive this is not the story you'd make and it'll be interesting to see what will the changes be to the new movie you know and that's the other frustrating thing about podcasting (laughs) is by the time this comes out the movie will have been out for a month you'll have seen it and everyone will be uh-huh. uh, saying, why are they talking about that awful movie? Or like, <laughs> on the other <laughs> hand, why are they talking about this movie that's actually the best thing ever made? Who knows? Because those are the only two options. <laughs> in fairness, David Diggs is in it. And he's Sebastian. And I think that he's just the tops. Yeah. First, I don't know who that is. And second, I looked at Sebastian. <laughs> And he just looks like a normal crab. He does not have a weird homunculus, uh, creepy head made of bubble gum. Which is almost more disturbing because he can't, I don't see any facial expressions. Yeah, he can't emote. That's another limiting thing about the the real life kind of looking animation is the fish. They are very weird looking when they don't have facial expressions and very Mm. emotional voices. Yeah, and yet still, it's definitely worse. Again, like Melissa McCarthy, definitely worse than seeing this, you know, one of the most animated villains of all time, like moving around and shaking and Mm -hmm. contorting, incredible with both. Yeah, it's like, it's such like a celebration of both the kind of octopus animation that they Mm -hmm. were able to do, where they actually kind of like, essentially they had footage of a real octopus and they just kind of traced and overlaid there to make their drawings is really crazy what they did and then also kind of like using a uh plus size body to full effect as well celebration of this really cool and then you see melissa mccarthy of course she's a real person she can't do but anyway uh, these movies they're almost like i i love them as like a companion to the original just because it's so crazy to see things made real even if they're worse i just don't mind it (laughs) you know aladdin was probably my favorite Disney movie, and it was just cool to see, especially like the street scene where he's jumping around and running from the guards. Yeah. It's just cool to see it as a real thing, even if it's not as good. Just nice. Yeah, I guess it, it seemed cheesy special effects and cheesy, um, sort of because uh, animation doesn't age too horribly, uh, but you know, special effects and, and choreography, the science moving so, so quickly <laughs> that, true. you know, 
you look back at Lord of the Rings and, and uh, you know, even though Gollum was like this revolutionary yeah. creature and he still kind of, for the most part, holds up, you'll come up against a, a couple of scenes every now and then and you're like, oh, well, that's kind of goofy, isn't it? Yeah, it's like you wonder, like, in 2023, would they be able to make Will Smith uh, weirdly thick <laughs> in a way that isn't just really off-putting to look at? <laughs> 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 um, but speaking of uh cheesiness uh yeah in addition to talking about music talking about etymology we also talk about a third thing but i can't remember what it was do you know it's eurovision, eurovision. Bow, 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 bow. and this is the <laughs> this is the first recording that we're doing since the show this is um and that means this is the first one where we really truly like Knowing what all the songs were, we picked, okay, mm-hmm. what song do we want to do? And it's very interesting that this is the first yeah. one that we chose, you know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This time we went with which one, Russell? Uh, well, it's Croatia. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the band must be called, like, Let Three. Is that how they say I it? I believe that's how they say it. Let. I don't know what the Croatian word for three is, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's probably something clever or a pun, just judging by the band's style. And then, actually, I have no idea how to say the song name either, because I see it's Mama mm-hmm. and then S-C with some kind of accent marks. Yeah, yeah, they've got the uh, accent. Okay, so accent club, uh, circumflex. Uh, they both have accent circumflex on S and C. It's pronounced uh, sha. Uh, sha. And they say that a k- sha. 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 Ah, yeah. Okay. Uh, they say this during a, uh, uh, um, a couple of times during the song. Uh, mama, uh, mama kissed a psychopath. Sha. Um, Mama kissed a psychopath. Sha. I, I, I uh, intuitively assume this is like a sound of disgust, almost like a pta kind of yeah. thing. And that's a that's a very good point. Um, uh, the band has given several different uh, explanations of this. Oh, so this um, isn't like most... an existing part of Croatian slang or something. Or maybe uh, no, it's actually uh, it's not Croatian slang. Uh-huh. Um, it actually the most compelling um, uh, reason that I've heard, uh, and and you know it varies. Uh, the band likes to fuck with people, so uh, sometimes they'll say, "Oh, it's the sound that somebody makes when they have an orgasm." Oh, <laughs> it's the sound that somebody makes when they're uh, meditating. Uh, but the most compelling reason that I've heard is uh, that it is um, the it's a Russian letter. Uh, Sha is a Russian letter. It looks like a W with a little tail. Okay, um, and. Uh, the reasoning that they gave is that when Armageddon comes, it's going to be coming with a bomb that has the letter shot on it. <laughs> this is an anti-war song. Uh-huh. It's almost it's almost explicitly anti-Putin. It does not say Putin. It says everything but Putin. Um, because uh, Eurovision has this uh, tradition of being anti-political, or just like a safe space from like political arguments, basically. Mm-hmm. Which is why it was so surprising that Croatia was the first, um, the first uh, entry in the first semifinal to uh, uh, make it through to the final. I I, th- I found that very very surprising. 
Yeah, yeah, I thought for sure they were gonna go home after the first day, but people liked it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's like, it's one thing to be political about other countries that are, you know, your your neighbors in Eurovision, but I, I don't think they're taking a big risk in, you know, making a song villainizing oh, yeah. Russia. You know, I think there's something everyone can get behind, <laughs> except for some Americans, you know. Uh, for context, uh, the Eurovision ought to have been held in Ukraine this year because Ukraine won last year. But um, due to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, they were unable to host. Yeah. Uh, it took place in Liverpool this year instead. Um, so this song, uh, I was, I wanted to talk about it at the same time that we were talking about drag because it's uh, a different form of drag, I think. And it's the form of drag that is explicitly political. Mm. Um, it's uh, done as a political message. This is a song that's extremely anti-war. The lyrics uh, refer to, um, well, not in so many words, but they uh, refer to Putin and uh, the dictator of Belarus, Lukashenko, um, as psychopaths. Um, Mama kissed a psychopath. Uh, you referenced the tractor earlier on. Um, that is... Uh, uh, Lukashenko actually gifted Vladimir Putin a tractor for his 70th birthday. <laughs> it, <laughs> it does seem like the sort of thing Putin would enjoy. Like, I can picture him riding it in jeans yeah. and no shirt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talk about queer culture. I mean, what's going on with Putin, really? <laughs> you know. <laughs> He really likes sitting on large things with a shirt off. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's no, nothing to read into that, I'm sure, you know. No, oh, surely not. Especially how militantly anti-gay he is. Yeah, it seems very normal. Uh, <laughs> can, we, can we take a break here to just talk about this as a song? I mean, like, uh, yeah. what, what do you think about it as a song? Do you, are you enjoying it? No. <laughs> how about you? I love it. It's so good. I, I think... The uh, the variety of kind of sounds mm -hmm. that they get, I, I think the uniqueness of it, the the feeling like it's got kind of the scrappiness, and yet at the same mm -hmm. time, I feel like it has good musicality together. You know, it's like there's this there's this element of it that feels unpolished, and like these uh, kind of old goofy guys are are singing this song, not being too serious, and then at the same time, I'll, I'll get into thinking that. And then they'll mm -hmm. they'll make a vocal kind of I don't know um, performance in another yeah. part of it where I'm like wow these guys are really good and, and I think the the it has some complexity I think it has some variety of sound and, and honestly me like there's a lot of things I like about music a lot of things I appreciate but the songs I generally listen to are just songs that are kind of high energy and have a lot of just really stimulating different uh weird sound so this song comes very close to a song that i'll probably put on my playlist you know yeah i can see that it's very rhythmic it definitely feels like something that you could run to mm -hmm. yeah uh, I, i'm I feel thinking like you've got about a lot of that on your try. playlist for sure that's what yeah. most of my music is yeah 
Yeah. So the performance uh, is, uh, what did you think of the performance? Also great. Uh, I, I was impressed because, of course, first I saw the music video. Mm-hmm. And it, I was impressed by how much of that they were able to bring to the live show. You know, they've got the mm-hmm. the guy, uh, you know, of course, so there's kind of three big elements. There's the singers dressed as like uh, dictators or whatever, militant generals, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, there's the drag queen part, which is on the screen, on the projector mm-hmm. screen in the back. And then there's the, in the video, I think there's like guys riding bombs. But in this, they did kind of a funny thing where it's like towards the end, this guy just kind of lurches in with two big bombs that he's carrying. And he yeah, walks uh, up he a staircase. Yeah, he was meant to be Lenin. Aha, uh-huh, okay. So Lenin comes in with bombs. And he, I yeah. think he walks up a staircase or something funny like that, where it's kind of nicely understated in a way that feels really <laughs> ominous. So I, I thought they made some really clever choices. Yeah, actually. they really did. Um, and during the performance, I'm sure you noticed that they had uh, um, T-shirts with uh, little boys' faces on them with their eyes blacked out. Didn't notice uh, at all. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, what was that, that was about? one of the things. So, um, I thought for sure, oh, that looks like that must be Vladimir Putin as a kid, like hmm. something like that. Because it's a black and white photo, it, uh, the eyes are blacked out. It just looks, and they, but then I noticed that all the faces are different. It turns out they're just random kids, uh, edited, uh, and of course, due to privacy concerns. Uh, they block out the identity of the children. Um, there's a lot of symbolism in the performance, both in the uh, in the music video and in the uh, actual performance of it. Uh, Lenin comes out with the bombs. Um, you mentioned that they are dressed as dictators in military regalia. They're also dressed in drag, uh, wearing makeup and dresses. Oh. Uh, at the yeah. same time, you're saying like under the yeah. Well, I gotta watch this. Video. No, no, at this like the uh, the military the dresses, military dresses. Ah, you're right. Wow, how did I not notice that? <laughs> it's so true. They're dresses. They're they're like yeah. It's like the mullet of a dress. It's like military on top, uh, <laughs> elegance on the bottom. Great. True elegance on the bottom. Um. Yeah. So it's it's a really, it's a politically charged song and i think that right now is a really great moment for that where uh, this was a very queer show i think which i'm so happy about i really do love um seeing all of this uh this was do 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 this got 13th place mm. which um that's okay uh, some of the earlier um earlier and it had reached number 1 on the croatian yeah. charts like cool. it was very very popular um and I do agree the rhythmic kind of military thing at the beginning uh is is cool and, and the uh singing part toward the end is is really interesting. It's just that part in the middle where they intentionally kind of distort it it just throws me off entirely. <laughs> yeah, I could see it. I I'm sure that's not <laughs> your thing at all. Yeah. <laughs> Does Be- is Belarus in Eurovision, I think not. Is no, right? no, they um, they just didn't qualify, so or they never. Russia, answered. when Russia was um, said, "You're not allowed back." Belarus said, "Okay, fine, then we're not coming." Uh, so Belarus is doing mm-hmm. it out of solidarity for Russia. Yeah, Belarus has always been very pro-Russia. 
And every, everyone else in Europe was like, no, Belarus, don't go. Kind of doing the like Willy Wonka <laughs> thing, you know. <laughs> no, stop, don't, please. <laughs> yeah, I, again, I, this is so fascinating to me to see like the, you know, it's like if you have a Venn diagram of political um, rebellion and like mm -hmm. drag, <laughs> you know, action, how much of it is yeah. just like one circle, you know? Right, I mean. right. Yeah. Well, I've, I've said quite a lot during this show. I don't think I know what Europe wants. Um, <laughs> but after seeing this, I think what Europe is really in the mood for right now is punk. Yeah, okay, I could see it. Yeah, because, of course, Cha 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 is a runner-up. Mm -hmm. Pretty punk, and, you know, I, I and think a lot of people overwhelmingly, the, the winner of the popular vote. Yeah, a lot of people are pretty Cha -Cha mad was. at the jurors or judges or however it works. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can see and, it. And a lot of the more popular songs, I mean, other than, like, Israel, they have some degree of... of rebellion or, or punk energy even through the pop music um and that's uh, i don't know I, I i think that croatia's uh really having that moment right now and really living in that punk moment not really good news for you because I, I don't think punk is really too much in line with your musical sensibilities you know no i'm uh you generally I'm like more music supportive of the punk Good. than than in <laughs> yeah. the punk. Like I see you punking out, and I support it. And you think yeah. you should punk out to your heart's content? You're like I'm the, just gonna be. You're the mom driving the punk, <laughs> sitting in the car and crocheting. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I have been Russell Perkle. I've been Hannah. And this has been Getting Down and Wordy, where we take popular music and make it nerdy. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> That's for listening. cute. I like that. Yeah, pretty good. All right. Uh, remember to check us out on Instagram. Uh, you can just find us at Getting Down and Wordy. There we have a Facebook page as well you can search for. We have Twitter. I don't really go on there anymore. You shouldn't either. Uh, so please <laughs> do not go there on our behalf. Uh, you can find What's many other, <laughs> yeah, well, you can find many other, uh, great podcasts on our podcast network, podmoth.network. Yeah.